Good morning. Um, gosh, it's so good to be back. And um, periodically, I come home and and see mom, and and just love coming back to Ramsey Creek. And uh, sorry, I'm getting emotional already. The spirit's just been moving this morning. So, um, but it's just so good to be here. And um, there's something about this church that just always wants me to come back. And I know James feels the same way when he gets the opportunity to speak and just to see people and. Um, last, uh, as Rod said last summer, I spoke um, on Daniel. We you were going through Daniel at the time, and uh, I spoke on Daniel six and going through the lion's den, and uh, it was just a really good opportunity. And um, I'm a teacher, and so uh, I have my summers off, and so I gotta find something to do, right? And so uh, I just really enjoy preaching as well. And um, and you know, when you have that refreshment in the summer, a couple months off from um, the students, you are able to just kind of refresh in your in your walk and, and just um, being able to just kind of see where you are in life and, and just kind of take a step back and just say, you know what, God, what are you wanting me to do and um, how are you using me? And um, so that's what I kind of use my summer for, just to read up and, and to study and to just get in his word and have devotion times that uh, I'm not always able to have during the school year because I'm just so busy um, getting ready for class and prepping and things like that. But we oftentimes go through those seasons in life where um, maybe parts of the year you feel more busy than other parts of the year. Uh, parts of the year maybe you feel deeper in God's Word than other parts. And so there's seasons in our life where we our faith is stronger and we feel closer to God. And there's seasons in our life where we feel farther and farther away. Um, and whether it's a test of our faith or an opportunity just for God to show um, his power and just to reveal himself to us, um, I'm sure all of us can think of a time in the past year, maybe the past two years, where we just really felt just God. And God just seemed authentic. He seemed real. And he seemed like there is nothing that could ever give us any doubt that he is not there. Um, and it, it seems like he gives us a reminder of who he is and what he's doing in our life. Um, as I was nearing the end of grad school in Kansas City, um, it was the spring of 2016, um, I had, I was in my last year um, in seminary and I was just really praying about where God was going to take me next because when someone doesn't know what they're going to do, they just go back to school. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> uh, that's what mom says. No. But, uh, no, I, I really felt called to <coughs> seminary, and um, I was serving at uh, Quincy um, in a small E-free church um, and as a youth pastor, and I just really felt the call just to know God's Word even more. And uh, I was there for four years, um, and my last semester, um, you know, as things were wrapping up, um, I was just really praying, God, where are you going to take me now? Um, am I supposed to be in the local church? But if I was really honest with myself, I would have knew, known that probably about uh, sophomore year, God was saying that, John, I, I kind of want you in Christian education. And just having a really good education at, um, at Hannibal LaGrange and then going right into Midwestern, um, it just made so much sense to be in the classroom. And, and so... I said, okay, God, if you're calling me, then you're going to make it happen. 
And so, but I kept applying to churches too, and I was applying to St. Louis and Kansas City and even Little Rock, Arkansas, and um, and just you know anywhere I could. And uh, the doors were not opening. And um, it was about late April, and I graduate in about three weeks. I was like, oh boy. So um, I had a, a small job at UPS, and I was working part time at Lifeway Christian Bookstore, so I had a little bit of income. But I was just I was like, God, you brought me here. You called me. And you're going to make something happen. So um, I get a call a couple days later from a, uh, the former vice president, Hannibal LaGrange. Um, we were really close when I was there. And he said, hey, um, I have your resume, and I passed it along to our principal um, at our Christian school at First Baptist Maryville, Illinois. I said, wow, okay. And so I didn't really think a lot of it, and I was actually applying to other schools as well. And then... Um, a couple days later, the principal calls me, and we, we have a really good conversation, and he says, I'm looking for um, someone who can teach Bible and for someone who can teach history. Well, and if you know me, I love all things history, and I got my history degree at Hamble LaGrange, and I love talking about church history. I love talking about um, biblical studies. I love talking about um, theology, and I was like, well, man, that's right up my alley. So I took the chance. I... I Took a day trip to Kansas City and back, um, all the way to Maryville, Illinois. I had a really good interview, and in the interview, they said, "Well, we're looking for a coach who could coach our inaugural baseball team. Do you know anything about baseball?" I said, "Well, um, baseball used to be my passion. I love baseball. Uh, I grew up playing Corey League, and then six years at Clopton, and then I did American Legion ball. So I was I was just always playing ball, and and what another great way to disciple kids um, by being a coach, and." They said, well, that's what we're looking for. And so um, they gave me a tour of the school, and I left. And I walked out of there, and I called Mom and Dad, and I said, I got it. I think I got it. And a couple days later, um, they gave me a call, and they said, hey, we want you to be a teacher at our school. I said, yes. And it was just as if um, God just revealed himself. And it wasn't wasn't like a... Oh, weird hocus pocus thing. It was just, it was God showing up, and it was so evident that it was Him, and it wasn't just a coincidence. Because I would have been, I tell you, I would have been happy with just a, a youth pastor job at a church where I'm ministering to students and just loving on kids, and I would have been fine with that. But God said, you know what, um, John, those things would have been great, but hey, how about we give you something that you can do? and you get to use all your passions for. And I said, yeah. And so he used all three passions that I have to his glory. And that's not of that's not coincidence. That's of him. Uh, so I went, or he went above and beyond to give me this position, um, and I get to use all my passions. And so when life becomes difficult, I take a, that instance and remember when we, he revealed himself to me. God has blessed me with the position, and I'm grateful for it. Um, if you look in the first couple chapters of Joshua, uh, Joshua really 1 through 4, you see that um, the Israelites are on their way to the Promised Land, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River. Okay, And so they're all standing on the river kind of like this, and they're all looking at Joshua probably like this, and they're saying, all right, Joshua, what's our next move? And so Joshua says, I'm going to send two spies into Jericho, to kind of, kind of scope it out, kind of like scouts. So he sends two spies into Jericho, and they kind of look, you know, they they go on and, and look in there, and 
and see what's going on, and they're going to give Joshua a report. So they go into Jericho, and um, they see, um, they kind of get the feel for what Jericho is like, and they get help from a woman named Rahab. Rahab helps them out and helps them escape, and he goes back to Joshua and gives them a report. And in the report, they say, Joshua, um, you know, the whole city is just in fear of us because they've heard about our victories because of our God parting the Red Sea, and I really strongly believe that he's going to deliver us and take Jericho. And and so Joshua said, okay. So Joshua gave instructions to the Israelites. I said, all right, tomorrow um, I want you to consecrate yourselves because God's going to do amazing things, and he definitely did. That next day, and if you read the story before in Joshua, you know that he took um, four men, four priests, and they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it um, into the middle of the river. Okay, This is kind of like the Red Sea all over again, but kind of a minor version. So they take it into the middle of the river, and as they do, the sea parts like this. And on one side, all the water rushes back to the city of Adam. And on the other side, all the water recedes down to the Dead Sea. So as they walk in the middle of the river, the water in the ground eventually dries up. And so they have dry land to walk across. Now, you can picture just the priest kind of standing there. And the Israelites, I mean, this isn't a couple thousand people. This is hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people walking across. So you can imagine it's going to take hours for everybody to go through. So the priests are standing there for hours. probably took like a whole afternoon. And they're going through. And then eventually they make it all across. The priests are still standing there with the water still parted. And so Joshua gives an assignment to 12 other men. And he says, okay, um, I I want you 12 men to go out into the middle of the river where the priests are standing. And I want you to take... Uh, tw- each a stone, okay? The, and it adds up to 12 stones for 12 tribes of Israel. And so they pick up a stone and they take it with them. Then Joshua says, a couple days later, I want to place these stones on a mountaintop called Gilgal. And I want, I want you to remember, always remember, what these stones represent. The day that God revealed himself to us. The day that God became real. And so from generations upon generations, children will always ask, Mom, Dad, what do those stones mean? Well, son, let me tell you. One day, God opened up the seas and delivered our people across the, across the river, and he showed up, and he was there, and he was real. And so as we study um, Matthew today, um, we're going to kind of reference back to Joshua. Um, see, these stones meant something. They revealed that God was real to them. And on that day, he wanted the world to know. Um, there's going to be times um, where you might doubt God because you haven't seen a miracle. And there's going to be other times when you you doubt Christ personally because you haven't, because um, you're wanting to just trust that he's going to help you um, before you take that next step. All throughout our Christian life, we go through seasons of walking in step and out of step with Christ. And today we will discover several truths from interactions of Jesus with religious followers of what to be aware of. Previously, you have studied in the book of Matthew how religious leaders taunted Jesus for a miraculous sign in chapter 12. In chapter 13, Jesus shared the parable of the four soils. In chapter 14, you learned how Jesus fed the 5,000. And in chapter 15, Jesus feeds the 4,000. 
this week, we will learn that Jesus, if you look at your notes, Jesus gives four reminders in the Gospel of Matthew for growing in the Christian life. Um, my purpose for sharing this message today is that oftentimes we take a step in faith um, we're w- before we do, we're waiting for a sign from him. We're waiting to know that he's on our side. But on the contrary, we should take a step in faith because we know what he has already done. And we should know that he's already with us. And we don't need to be proven again and again. We don't need to be reaffirmed. We already know what he can do. And so as I share this message today, I recall a time, I want you to recall a time in your life when you felt that God was very real to you. Um, If you would, turn to your Bibles to Matthew 16, and we'll go through 1 through 12. And as the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven, or yeast, if you call it yeast, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand? And how many baskets you gathered for that? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets you gathered for that? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for just always being there, to always giving us that affirmation that you're real, even in times of doubt, even in times of struggle, even in times when um, you just seem far away. We know that you're always there, but God, maybe it's not us that um, needs to come. God, maybe it's not us that just needs to um, focus on you more, but maybe it's all of us together that just needs to to help each other out. God, I thank you for um, what you're doing in the life of this church. God, give me the integrity to teach your word with accuracy and desire. Um, Father, I just pray that uh, you would reveal a time in in these people's lives today that uh, you were real. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, just a little bit of background on Matthew 16. Um, This chapter begins on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee in the region of Magadan, uh, Jewish territory. Jesus was returning from his journey into the Gentile territory, having healed a Canaanite woman, as well as many others with various needs. He then fed more than 4,000 Gentiles with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. At the end of chapter 15, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and came back into the Jewish territory. And as soon as he did, 
he was greeted with a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, almost like as if they were ready to pounce on him again. And that's where we start off in, in Matthew 16. So our first reminder in your notes says, Jesus reminds believers that there is only one sign to look for. And if we look at verses 1 through 3 again, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. Um, this reminds me of an old sailor proverb. Some of you may know it. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Right. So, I mean, congratulations to the religious leaders for figuring that out. Um, Jesus exposes them here. And, um, I mean, I guess they thought they were hot stuff. But Jesus exposed them here, saying that, so you know the patterns of the sky, but you don't know the signs of the times I'm right in front of you. Then why can't you not recognize the dawn of the kingdom of heaven and the messianic age that's about to come, um, what Jesus does and what he teaches? But yet they're not recognizing that, but they can recognize weather patterns. Okay, Meteorologists of the first century. So the, how often would we ask God to prove himself before taking the next step? How often do we do that, though? Um, well, God, I, I don't want to take this job until I know that you're with me and you show me a sign. Well, God, I, I don't want to go to this university or this college until you show me a sign that that's where I'm supposed to go. Well, God, uh, I don't want you to, or I don't want to go to this um, mission trip because um, I want you to first show me that I'm supposed to go on this mission trip. See, um, one time there was a man stuck on a rooftop in a flood. He was praying for, to God for help. So a man in a rowboat came, and he, he, he said, Hey, I got a rowboat. Come on in. I'll help you. And so the man said, No, it's okay. I've been praying to God, and he's going to save me. It'll be all right. So the man in the rowboat went on. But maybe you know this story. But um, then this man in a motorboat comes by, and he says, Hey, um, I got a motorboat. Come on in. I'll help you. But the man... The man on the roof said, no, it's okay. I've been praying to God. Um, he's going to save me. I ha- See, I have faith. He's going to help me out. Okay. So the man in the motorboat goes on. Well, a couple moments later, a man in a helicopter comes hovering over, drops a rope down and says, hey, climb on up. I can help you. Just climb on up. said, no, it's all right. I got it. Uh, I've been praying that God's going to help me out. It'll be fine. Okay. A couple moments. So the... So the helicopter just flies away, reluctantly. And then uh, this man is still on the roof. The water rises up, and he drowns. And so he gets to heaven and talks to God and says, God, I, I prayed. I had faith, but you you weren't there. You didn't rescue me. And God's reply was, I sent you a, a rowboat. I sent you a motorboat. I even sent you a helicopter. But you still did not recognize it. See, oftentimes... <laughs> We, we see all these miracles in the Old Testament. We see all these miracles in the New Testament. Um, over 2,000 years of history and thousands of witnesses, but yet we still doubt. Some people believe that if they just saw an Old Testament miracle, if I just, if I just saw this Old Testament miracle, I would just know that he's real. Well, let me tell you something. If you study the Israelites in Exodus and they saw the parting of the Red Sea, but yet couple chapters later, well, what are we going to do now, Moses? We've got to eat. I mean, they, they still doubted. They still doubted. But we do the same thing. 
Some people believe that if they just saw it, it would happen. Um, but they still doubt God's abilities. Um, a physical appearance would not make Jesus any more real than he already is. Jo- just as Joshua shared with the nation of Israel to consecrate themselves for tomorrow, God is going to do amazing things among you today. See, they had no clue what was coming. They, their understanding was so small, and God showed up, and he, and he can do immeasurably more than what we might ask or think. Which brings us to our next point. Um, do not rely on your own understanding. Family, we are so limited in our knowledge of God. We are so limited on, on what we know and what he can do for us. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So, sometimes, what I like to do is a break down a verse, kind of dissect it like you're in high school science class again. So you, you dissect it, and so you kind of break it up. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of the best ones to do that with, I think. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, okay, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that doesn't mean just trust in the Lord with some things. Uh, I'll trust in the Lord with finances, but not in friendships. I'll trust in the Lord with, um, you know, taking care of my house, but not in not in my marriage. I'll, I'll trust in the Lord with um, my job, but not with my coworkers, okay? No, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart, which means everything. Um, it's like the phrase, let go and let God. Just let him help you. Um, so when you break that down, it's, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So, okay, I'm trusting in him with everything. Do not lean on your own understanding. So my understanding is limited, especially in matters of God. So I guess I just need to allow him to help me with everything. Just, and not in my understanding, but in his understanding. If I don't know why I'm not getting a job, if I don't know why um, my parents are sick, if I don't know why um, this person passed away at this time, if I don't know why this is happening right now, I have a limited understanding. I don't know why, but that's okay because God does. God does. And he will make straight your paths. And just understanding, he wants what's best for us, and he cares even about the little things. But ultimately, Jesus says to look for one sign, the sign of Jonah. Verses 3 and 4, You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So Jesus responded by telling them, just look for the sign of Jonah. But they didn't really know what that means. But if you learn, if they were learned earlier in Matthew 12, that the sign of Jonah was a reference to Jesus' resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the fish for three days, Jesus would also spend three days in the grave and then would rise again. So not even a miraculous sign was enough to convince these hard-hearted Pharisees and Sadducees of what was about to happen. They were so fixated on their temporal matters that they were completely blinded by the internal abilities of what was about to take place. So I think to understand this passage, it would be helpful to identify its characters. So the second reminder for believers is that Jesus reminds believers not to be marked by self-righteousness. Jesus Jesus reminds believers not to be marked by self-righteousness. So just a little bit of background here. The self-righteous agitators in this passage were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a conservative body of leaders who led strict observance of law and tradition. The word Pharisees means separated ones. 
Pharisees loved to keep the rules. Um, they were all about taking great pains and making sure everything was right. Their ducks are in a row. Um, they're going to keep the law, and they're going to keep tradition. This is the way we always done it. Okay, um, As a valuable lesson from the Pharisees, we get so caught up in trying to live this and act religious um, in our the way we act, in our decency, in our morals, and even our religious lives, but we miss um, the point. We miss the point. Um, it's not about our accomplishments, because that will lead to pride. Um, it's God wants your heart. It reminds me back to 1 Samuel 16, when um, Samuel was looking for a new king because Saul was unable to fit the role. Um, Saul had the appearance. He looked great. He was strong, but he didn't fit the mold. And so Samuel had learned actually a valuable lesson there, and he was looking for another Saul. But God said, no, um, we're not looking for the outer appearance. We're looking for the heart. So Jesus gives this Jesus gives a parable of two men who prayed in Luke 18, 9 through 14. So if you turn there with me, Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Uh, Fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, we all need to be humbled like the tax collector, uh, not just letting the past achievements and and victories and accomplishments, don't allow that to um, take pride in your heart. Um, I think if we were to choose... I think adults probably could possibly struggle more with self-righteousness just because they're older, they have more accomplishments, um, they have more victories, they can look past in, in their life and say, okay, I've done this and this, and, and I feel pretty good about myself. So if the if the older generation are more like the Pharisees, then the younger generation would gravitate more towards the Sadducees. Um, so now it's a little bit more about instant gratification, like, the I want it now attitude, if you will. So that takes us to the third reminder for believers, is that Jesus reminds believers not to be marked by self-indulgence. So just a little bit of background on them. The self-indulged agitators were Sadducees. The Sadducees were a bit different than the Pharisees. Sadducees were predominantly um, from the wealthy class of Jewish people, if you will. They had some strict regard over them, the Pharisees, but not much. And they were more known for their political and social power, so they're more power-hungry. Um, their mindset was, hey, um, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, so their mindset was, um, hey, this life is all there, there is, so let's make the most of it. Okay, um, And they had the financial means to do so, so and I guess they partied hard. But um, we live in this hashtag YOLO generation, and if you're not familiar with YOLO, 
Um, if you haven't been around youth much, um, it's a hashtag that they use on social media, and it, it's an acronym that stands for You Only Live Once. It's a term that came pretty popular around 2012, um, and it promotes this let loose, who cares, free, carefree lifestyle, okay, with no regard to what you do and the consequences. Um, it kind of is a, it's a blatant disregard for thinking through an action um, without considering the consequences. Uh, maybe you see innocent ones and perhaps Christian kids will, will put this on their social media um, about like weird food choices. Like uh, like today I'm putting chocolate chips on my potato salad, YOLO. They might do something like that. But then it gets really weird. I mean, that, that is really weird. And it's, it's okay, but it's weird. Um, but then it gets and then it gets bad because kids are are saying, "Well, I I'm only going to live this life, so I'm going to do whatever I want." They think they're entitled, and oftentimes in these Twitter updates, you might see something like, "Hey, I shoplifted a dress today at the mall." Yolo, you know, you see things like that. Um, no regard for the consequences. Um, no regard. So the Sadducees love to adjust the rules to fit their own preferences, priorities, and pursuits in this world. But how easy it is to please ourselves apart from God, as they were doing, pursuing the wrong interest and and being with the wrong company. Um, Ephesians five fifteen and 17 in your notes. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's important to know, um, no matter how old you are, that we need to make the most of every opportunity while we're on this earth. Um, I heard one time that as Christians, this is, this life here is the closest we will ever be to hell. But for an unbeliever, this life here is the closest they will ever be to heaven. And we need to understand that. We do. We do. Um, we need to understand that we need to take every opportunity to share the gospel, to make Christ known, to make him look good, and to be ambassadors for him. Um, there was a a British um, missionary named C.T. Studd, and he quoted one time saying, "Only one's life will soon be passed; only one's what's done for Christ will last." And I think that's very true. And oftentimes we forget that. And our purpose is that we should just understand that God has um, it taken care of, and but we lose faith. And our last reminder for believers is that Jesus reminds the disciples of their faithfulness. Verses 5 through 12, do you read with me? When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, thinking, We brought no bread, but Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you a little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that that you have no bread. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, the focus now shifts from the Pharisees and Sadducees to the disciples. And clearly, the disciples aren't getting it, okay? Um, they're not getting um, the teachings of Christ in the past several chapters. They forgot um, 
See, in their mind, they said, oh, we forgot to bring bread. Okay, now Christ is going to get mad at us. He's going to be hangry. It's not going to be good. Okay, it's hungry and angry at the same time, hangry. It's not going to be good. It's Okay, yeast, so, but he's saying, no, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, they missed the entire point. He's not talking about literal yeast. He's talking, he's talking about um, the, the misguided teachings. See, Jesus was referring to these misguided teachings of the other religious leaders and, and using yeast as an analogy. Now, kids, as Jason, Pastor Jason was talking about, what does yeast do when you put it in bread? Just a little bit. Makes it what? Makes it rise, yeah. So when you just put a little bit in there, it makes enough for the dough to rise, okay? Just with a little bit of misguided teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that can mislead a whole group, okay? And and the issue here was that Jesus was concerned that these Pharisees and Sadducees are going to give misguided teachings, and those misguided teachings are going to lead a lot of people astray, a lot of people astray. Jesus then asked the disciples a series of questions concerning their failure to grasp what they had seen of his ministry. The disciples uh, doubted after witnessing two miraculous feedings. Apparently, this had little effect on him. Um, And it's so easy and tempting to get frustrated with the disciples, especially in these few chapters, because they're just not getting it. They're just not getting it. But then then I ask myself, okay, how many times have I not gotten? How many times did I struggle? How many times has the Lord... And, and all of his patience, okay, has taught me the same truths again and again and again. He has been so faithful to me in everything, and yet I still doubt him. We should praise God for his faithfulness even when we are faithless. I believe, I sincerely believe that he cares so much for you that he has placed your life and he is waiting to impress the daylights out of you. And he wants you to just see him in all his glory uh, just like the day crossing the Jordan River so several things we need to remember today we need to remember he will always be faithful we need to remember that he has the best he wants the best for us we need to remember that he cares even about the little things and we need to remember that he delivers so I challenge you um, this week and this might sound a little odd but we've been talking about stones so I want you to find a stone this week or maybe just an item around your house. Um, And I want you to write the time and place where God revealed himself to you the most, maybe in the past year, maybe in the past couple years. Um, And every time that you um, are doubting if God is able, I want you to take a look at that stone. I took this stone, and I wrote MCS on it. MCS stands for Maryville Christian School, which is the school that I work at. And every time that... Uh, I have doubt that God is able, I will look at this stone. And I'll either have it on my uh, desk at home or at my desk at school. And I'll say, no, God's there. He's there. And I know it. I know it. Maybe, um, oh, the second challenge. Hey, there's two. If you can handle two. Um, I love the fact that we're in a farming community because there's just you're just one with nature a lot. And I know a lot of people in here love the outdoors. Um, take some time this week. Go outside. Be by yourself. I spent 30 minutes um, outside on our front porch yesterday and just kind of embracing nature. Um, and just to appreciate where God is, what he's doing in your life, what he has done, and what he will do. And just understand that he's real. 
And uh, just to kind of focus on that and focus on what he's done in your life. I don't know if you um, ever heard of the name before. His name was Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey um, lived in the 1800s, and he was a singer. And actually, he was good enough that D.L. Moody asked him to um, asked him to sing along with him and travel with him, just as George Beverly Shea was to Billy Graham. Uh, Ira Sankey was to to uh, yeah, D.L. Moody. Thanks. So. Um, and so he was um, on a steamer going down the Delaware River. And as he was on the Delaware River, um, they were going down, and, and some people recognized him, and they asked him to sing. So um, he, he agreed, and so he began singing, and a lot of people came in and joined in, and a lot of people were, were singing along. And there was this man that recognized the singing, and he went up through the, the crowd and uh, and so he sang along with them, and he and he stood in the front row. And as he was in the front row, um, they were singing along. And when they were done, um, he went up to Ira Sankey and said, "Ira Sankey, um, Mr. Sankey, did you serve in the war between the states?" And Ira Sankey said, "Why, yes, I did. Um, I joined in 1860." Well. Mr. Sankey, um, were you stationed at a at a fort near uh, Sharpsburg, Maryland? Yeah, I was. Um, I served there in 1862. Well, Mr. Sankey, um, did you did you ever stand guard? Um, you know, a post guard out in front. I said, yeah, oftentimes I did. Well, Mr. Sankey, did you? Did you ever sing? Yeah. Yeah, I sang. I probably did. Well, Mr. Sankey, I was a Confederate sniper. And one night in Sharpsburg in 1862, I had you in my sights. But you started singing this song, Savior, Like a Shepherd Lead Us. And Mr. Sankey... I remember my grandmother used to sing me that same song. And as I was about to shoot, you started singing, and I could not pull the trigger, and I could not stop singing that song. Now that's a stone to remember. we That is God revealing himself. If you don't remember anything else today, I want you to remember that Christ died for you, that he saved you, and he wants the best for you. He cares about the little things. He cares about those things. And he wants you to live a life with him. And he, I think the most miraculous sign is we're not supposed to be looking for a sign. We're supposed to remember what already happened. What already happened. If I think the most miraculous sign is that he saved a wretch like me. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, Because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with your mouth one confesses and is saved. Do not look for a sign. Do not look for a sign in the sky. Remember, 
Remember what he has done. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the the many blessings you've given us. God, I thank you for this church and what you've done in the life of these people. God, thank you for the ones who took their own sweet time um, during the week for over 18 years as my family has been here. God, thank you for what you've done um, just by raising and helping me and helping my younger brothers. God, thank you for just the, the spirit in this church that never leaves. No matter what position changes happen, God, no matter what is going on, you are always in control. And we can remember. You put a memorial up because we know that you will be there. Amen.